So let me just ask, who here is ready for Christmas? A couple of you? Just the dads. Ready for it to be over, right? Work at the post office this time of year and you are ready for January. I'm telling you that. I got locked jaw last week from all those Christmas cards. <laughs> oh, man. But if I get another phone call about a package being delayed, um, we'll just leave it at that. No. But I, I want to ask, because, uh, you know, when it comes time to preach this time of year, it's, it's a blessing and kind of a burden at the same time, because you kind of know what is going to be preached about. I mean, it's Christmas time. I can't, I'm not going to preach to you about the walls of Jericho necessarily falling down on Christmas service, because we're here to celebrate the what? The birth of Jesus. We're not here to celebrate the, the walls coming down and all the, you know, people of Israel slaying the Canaanites and cutting their heads off. I mean, that's kind of gruesome for Christmas. Um, and then I thought, who here... And then we'll kind of see just how crazy you are. Who here looks forward to the time switching from 11.59 Thanksgiving night to 12.01 Friday morning because immediately Christmas songs come on for the next four weeks? Who here likes that time? So we can see just how crazy you are. I like Christmas music about four days to seven days prior to Christmas. This time, this day, for the next few days, I will enjoy and I will appreciate Christmas. Now, some of you may have the Christmas music blaring and you have the Hallmark movies on DVR and on repeat and your TV doesn't move from the Hallmark station. You know, this is the best time of the year when it comes to college football and college basketball and, and, you know, NFL football. But no, every TV across the stinking country has the Hallmark movie on. And and that ruins our entire football season, entire basketball season, and and we get to pick it up in January. So we might as well write off the next four weeks. Well, as I said earlier, I'm not a huge Christmas song or Christmas music guy even though I do appreciate them and I understand what they're for and I understand that there's a lot of good teaching in them. Um, You know, I'm not big on all the nostalgic and every Hallmark movie having the same thing. I'm not huge on, you know, the Christmas season so much as far as the commercialization of it. But we ought to be grounded during this time and we ought to be appreciating this time for the very reason that our Savior came 2,000 years ago to be born so that he could grow up in our place. And then we long for the return of our king because we know that he is coming back. We know that not everything is complete in the sense of uh, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We don't know exactly how it's going to look, but we do know that our king will return and that we will either see him face to face here or there. We will breathe our last breath. It is inevitable that you and I will breathe our last breath likely one day and that you and I will see him. So we must be prepared at all times. So during this Christmas season, People are listening to Christmas carols and they're watching their Hallmark and and they're getting ready for cooking and cleaning and family and all of the great things that we enjoy. But today I want us to go back to the original Christmas carol. I mean the very first one. The very first one in Luke chapter 1. This is known as the Magnificat. The song of praise by Mary. Recorded in Luke chapter 1. 
And what I want us to do is I want us to read this particular Christmas carol. And there's a phrase that we use around here whenever Brian or whoever is leading music will, will say whenever we refer to the old hymnals. What do we call them? The oldie but goodies. <laughs> oldie but goodie. It's an old song. It's a classic song. It's a timeless song that has a message that is timeless and we learn a lot from. And we can actually, whenever we dig into the songs in which we sing, if we were to really break down the message that they are preaching to us, because every song is a message, but just added with instruments and, and change of pitch in our voice, if we were to break down every song that we sing, it all has a message. So some songs we can learn a lot from, and some songs are fairly shallow, and we don't grow all that much from. So whenever it comes to Christmas carols, some songs are very, very Knowledgeable. Some are loaded with theology and doctrines of who God is and how he came. And this Christmas carol that we're going to read today, and as I told Jared outside this morning, my Christmas present to you is a shortened sermon. Amen. All right? You can say amen to that. We're going from 45 to 44 minutes uh, today. You're welcome. Merry Christmas. We'll see you at the drive-in for another 44 I'm just kidding. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to read the original Christmas carol, the oldest one, the oldie but goodie songs whenever it comes to singing about the Savior of the world. This is coming right from the mouth of Mary, the woman that was to carry Jesus in her womb. And this is written, this is recorded right after Mary travels to see her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, who is carrying a child as well, is carrying a child that would grow up to be called John the Baptist. He would be baptizing people in the wilderness and crying out to the, to the world that they, would, they need to make straight the way of the Lord. They need to prepare them, themselves, prepare their hearts for the coming of Messiah. So, so here's Elizabeth, and she's pregnant, and, and here's Mary, and she's pregnant, and they come together, and they've got pickles and ice cream and, and, and all the snacks that they're craving and, and all of the wild cravings that they have during that time. And, and, and you know, they've got chocolate pizza over, over fried bacon, and, and they're just communicating. Communicating uh, here together, and they're talking about these children. Because little do we really remember, maybe, but that Elizabeth was also impregnated in a very strange time of life, in a very miraculous way. And here is Mary going to visit her cousin. And it says in verse 44 of Luke chapter 1 Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Little did I realize as I was reading this particular passage of Scripture this week, this particular verse right here could debunk a lot of social issues in our world. I mean, I'm reading a story 2,000 years ago when a baby was considered a baby and leaped in a mother's womb. So it says that when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed. This is Elizabeth talking to Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And in response to this meeting, in response to the words of her cousin, Mary said, 
And we're going to look at the next nine verses and pull three things from it. There's so much more than just these three, but these three things are what allowed Mary to rejoice during this time and what will allow you to celebrate and to rejoice this Christmas. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. We could stop right there and talk about or think about, ponder the things, the great things that God has done for you. I mean, we could all probably be in agreement that he who is mighty, referring to the Lord, has done great things for me. I can testify to the great things that my God has done, and you could probably testify to the great things that God has done for you. For the miracles that he has performed, for the ways that he has made, for the reconciliation that he has brought forth, for the healing that he has provided, for the provision or for the protection or for the wisdom. I mean, we could go on and on and on. But Mary says, for he who is mighty has done great things, and holy is his name. Holy is his name. Which reminds us that we should only think of the Lord and speak in the Lord in a rejoicing, praising, and serving, loving, fearful way. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Whenever I read that, I thought of a particular song that my mother-in-law sings on occasion at the uh, Hazel Creek, what is it, the Hazel Creek Homecoming. And it's, song, it's an old song. I don't even know the words to it so much. But the song kind of goes like, tell your children and your children's children of the second coming of our King. And whenever we read the Ten Commandments, we read about God visiting the generations with the wrath of their fathers, but then how he blesses thousands of generations. And we read from Mary, who is receiving firsthand and experiencing personally the mercy of God provided to her through the birth of her son, who would also be known as the Christ. Here we are 2,000 years later celebrating the same birth. Celebrating the same birth. Why? Because we were reminded in, the, in Jesus laying in a manger embodied every bit of mercy and grace that God gives to his people. That little baby. She goes on to write, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Forever. So three things I want to pull from this particular song, this particular carol that we can learn 2,000 years later that will allow you to truly celebrate next Saturday morning. Whenever you wake up and maybe the tree has gifts under it and stockings are full. But more importantly than that, it is the day in which we have set apart. Again, as I have said every single week, I am not here to debate the actual date of birth of Jesus. As it was possible in May, it was possible in September. It is the day in which we celebrate the birth of our King. 
And you and I take a day out of our year every year to just celebrate the birth. Now, the fear is that we only celebrate Jesus on Christmas. And the fear is that we only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Easter, when we should be celebrating him every single day because his mercies are new every morning. Every breath that we take should be a reminder inside of our soul of who he is and what he has done and how he has done great things. But from this particular song, just from the words that we just read, I want to pull three things out that will allow you to celebrate this Christmas, maybe a little bit different, maybe a little more grounded. And the first one is this, God came for the humble. God came for the humble. Whenever you go back into chapter one here in Luke, you will see the interaction between the angel and Mary. And Mary said, she says, however you choose, Lord, whatever you desire to do, I am a servant of the Lord. She recognizes who she was. She is simply a servant of the Lord. Whenever she went to see her cousin, Elizabeth, she was reminded of the servanthood in which she possessed. So here we are in verse chapter 1, starting in verse 35. The angel appeared to her and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And verse 37 says, For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So what we have to understand is that God came for the humble. Whenever he sees Mary in her humble estate, he chooses her. We have to establish a few things. There was nothing particularly special about Mary as a woman prior to this time. She was not a perfect person because if you read the song here, she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. So she recognizes her need to be saved. Therefore, she, like many of us, or in fact, all of us who have ever walked this earth were a sinner in need of a Savior. And she recognizes this need to be saved. Therefore, we must know that there was nothing necessarily special about Mary. She was a young woman who was kind of uh, taken back whenever she was approached by the angel to bear the Son of God. And she recognizes her humble estate. She recognizes that if it was not for God, this would not be possible She recognizes that if it wasn't from the Spirit of God, that that this betrothment that she was in with her fiancé, Joseph, that it would be broken, they would have to be divorced, because then she would have broken the vows that they had made for one another. And what we see is that God came for the humble. She goes on to write, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Whenever we read the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says something very, very powerful. He says, God opposes the what? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what happens this Christmas is you and I must truly humble ourselves. And whenever we humble ourselves, we will find ourselves in complete recognition of our need for Jesus. Because if we live too prideful, We will think that we and ourselves are very capable of doing all that needs to be done in this life, and we will see no need for God alone. We will see no need to truly surrender our hearts to him, and we will actually exalt ourselves into places that we are not capable of carrying. 
And whenever you and I exalt ourselves too high, we will see no need for God. There will be no recognition of sin. And then we will just comfortably live in sin. And here's what happens. The proud people will just arrogantly, pridefully, and comfortably walk themselves straight to the pits of hell. Because they see no need to surrender themselves to a a Savior. They see see no need to truly repent of their sin. They see no need to truly bow before the throne of God. They see no need to truly bow before the cross of Jesus Christ. They see no need to truly surrender and to take their cross up daily and follow Him. And if we are not careful, we will boast in ourselves. Here's what I want you to know. When you get to heaven, there is not going to be one person boasting about anything they did. Not one. You and I, all of us that get to heaven, will be worshiping the great I am face to face and we will be humbled. We will be seeing his majesty firsthand and we will be reminded over and over and over about the loving kindness of our God that took it upon himself to bear a cross on Calvary for people like me. Man, when I get to heaven, I ain't got nothing to talk about but him. There is nothing that I have done that could ever obtain the favor or the blessing or the forgiveness of the Lord. But it is freely offered to those who believe and call upon and love and serve and follow Him. So God came for the humble. God came for the humble. He sees this young woman and He says, I can do something there. She was not educated. She was not a political figure. She wasn't even welcomed by her fiancé for a little bit of time, who may have lived the rest of his life still questioning, how did that really happen? How did that really happen? But she's just a young woman that God chose. And when God chooses the people that will humble themselves and call themselves as Mary did, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be. Let it be, God. Whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I will carry it. And here's what's happening in this particular song. We're about three months or so from the arrival of Jesus, maybe four months. And we are right, I mean, we're, we're getting to that point in the pregnancy where, you know, the back pain is starting to pick up and, and she can't be on her feet too long because her legs swell. I mean, she's becoming fully aware of the pains of this pregnancy. We could go all the way back to Genesis 3 when God promised woman. And here's the beautiful thing. It's beautiful, but it's also painful at the very same time. I have been with Michaela four times now and witnessed firsthand what it was like for her. It's painful. But every single child that is born through the enduring pain of delivery is a reminder of two things. One, the fall of man. It is a reminder of sin that you and I live in and we were born into. But it's also a reminder that even through that pain, even through that painful experience, even through that bit of of pain and that childbearing and that delivery, which some people end up losing their lives, it is a reminder of God's goodness and his faithfulness that even after all of that, he can still save us. Even even whenever we we fail and when we fall short, he can still save us. So every time a child is born, and here we are in Mary's life, and she's growing into those pains. You know, the back is, you know, the, the, the waddle that those moms get. You know, when they're waddling around the store and she's getting there and she's probably got the belly now and she's got the bigger maternity clothes and, and she's trying to, trying to maneuver and she can't tie her shoes anymore. 
You know, they get to a point where they can't have her. And here's Mary. She's becoming more and more aware of this child in her womb. But she's also likely becoming more and more spiritually aware of who this child really is. And she may be feeling it a little bit that this child truly is the son of God. Inside of my womb, I carry the Son of God. And she humbles herself. And you and I must humble ourselves. Secondly, we see the faithfulness of God through this song. When you go to the end of the song, she goes on to say, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. In Jesus was the fulfillment of all God's promises. In Jesus was the fulfillment of all of God's blessing. Whenever you go back to Abraham, as Mary refers, if you remember in Genesis chapter 12, you see God confront Abraham. And he says to Abraham, hey, I know you're 75, but I'm calling you to leave your father's house and to leave the land that you know. You're going to leave all this behind, all this comfortability, all of this stuff that you've grown to know. You're going to leave it completely behind and you're going to go to a land in which I show you. Okay, God, where's that? Just start walking. Just start walking. And then as he calls him, he also, prepares, he also promises to him, hey, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to make your name so great. In fact, you're going to have so many descendants that you won't be able to count them. Like when you look into the stars of the sky, you cannot possibly count each and every one, just as it is will be with your descendants. You know, when you walk down the beach, one of my favorite spots in the world is to just walk the beach. Did you know it would be impossible for me to count every grain of sand on the beach? That is so with Abraham and all of his descendants. He would never see them all, and he would never be able to actually count them all. But God promised him to make him a great nation. And he also promised to Abraham that through you, through your lineage, through your family tree, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Jews, Gentiles, Missourians, here we are in 2021, still being blessed. Why? Through the lineage of Abraham came a child born in a manger, wrapped in linen cloths named Yahshua, who would grow up to live, to die on a cross in our place, to leave the tomb empty, to give us eternal life, who is now awaiting the arrival of us or awaiting the command of his father. We do not know exactly what it's going to look like, how it's going to play out, how it's going to work from now until then. But we do know one thing is for sure, that you and I have the possibility of spending all of eternity with him. So therefore, we shall be blessed. So we see the faithfulness of God to his word. Yet this was generations down the road. In fact, you could, always, you could even argue, you can go back all the way to Genesis chapter 3. When God told the serpent, there will be enmity between your seed and hers. There will be strife, there will be conflict, there will be literally a spiritual war between you and and him. But here's how it is for, ends for you and I, those of us who call ourselves Christians. You and I can rejoice this Christmas because as we celebrate the birth of our Savior in Jesus, who, yeah, was sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger, he will grow up to spiritually stomp the head of our enemy. 
And the head of our enemy, Satan's head, it would just bruise the heel of our King Jesus. So all the way back to Genesis 3, then through the family lineage of Abraham, God promises to bless his people. God promised to make Abraham a father of many nations at the age of 75. And then it was 25 years later that that promise came to pass. How many times are we in an Amazon-type world and prayer life to where we expect God to immediately deliver our concern two-day primes to the front door? No, no. We are talking about Father Abraham. You know, Father Abraham, who had many sons, this Father Abraham, who is written down in, the, in Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the people of faith. You know, the, the chapter of faith, if we had a hall of fame or faith, Abraham is right there. One of the guys that I'm going to long to see. And I'm going to say, Abraham, I love reading about you, but I know what you went through when you had that knife up at your son and, and you, you had the teenager talking about it. I, I was a parent too and how did you, how, I mean, how did you do that? How was your faith so strong to, to be able to be willing to sacrifice your son? And, and, and this is a man that had so much faith, faith that you and I could likely never possess. I'm not saying we can't, but I mean, his, this man laid his son down and this man was called by God and promised him to be a great nation and then waited 25 more years. 25 more years. And I just wonder how many people in today's world could wait more than three weeks for an answer. More than six months. I mean, if something isn't answered by the Lord, we just consider ourselves as God has turned his back. He must not love us anymore. He hates me. Let me just fall in depression and God's turned his back. Now I'm just going to, you know, pity me and woe is me. But we don't know exactly how long it's going to be until God's faithfulness comes to fruition. Just as it is, we're talking generations from Abraham to Jesus. We're talking hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And we're talking about hundreds of people, thousands of people, even millions of people that had anticipating the delivery of Messiah. I mean, we have generations telling their children and their grandchildren, hey, God's got a promise he made all the way back to Father Abraham. He is going to make us a great nation. He's going to deliver us all the way back to the time in which Adam and Eve fell. We are waiting this one. And and they're waiting for Messiah. And they're awaiting for Messiah. And they are awaiting for Messiah. And people would grow up and they would get old and they would pass just constantly awaiting. But here we are. And Mary has one response to this moment. To praise God the Lord. So we see a few things. We see first that God came for the humble. Second, we saw in Mary, as she records these words, God's faithfulness, that God is faithful to his promise. So you and I don't just have eternity to look forward to one day when we breathe our last breath, but we can live with him here and now. We can hold fast to his word. We can be empowered by his spirit. So as we read his word, as his spirit lives within us, and as we commune with fellow believers, you and I can be reminded of his goodness and his faithfulness now. And I can live the rest of my life knowing that my Lord will never leave me nor forsake me. 
I could leave, live the rest of my life knowing that my Lord is preparing a place for me. I can live the rest of my life following Jesus, knowing that I do not have to pay the punishment of my sin, but that he has redeemed me and made me completely new and set me free completely. And the last thing I want us to bring up is that God is Savior. God is Savior. These are from the words of Mary. She writes, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. What she is saying is that every part of my being is praising the Lord. Every bit of who I am is magnifying the Lord, is to exalt the Lord. Every bit of who I am exalts the Lord. And she realizes two things that leads her to this praising, to this magnifying, to this rejoicing. First is she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in, the, in God my Savior. She's realizing as God called her, chose her, and then now she is carrying this child, there is two things that she realizes that leads her to pray that you and I, if we realize these two things, we will be able to rejoice this next Saturday morning and we will be able to rejoice and celebrate the coming of our King every single day. First is this, that the soul is only satisfied by God. There is no amount of money that you spend on Christmas gifts. There is no amount of Oreo balls you can eat. There is no amount of Hallmark movies that you can watch that can truly satisfy the depths of your soul. There is none. I mean, they may make you warm and fuzzy on the inside and they, you know, the hot chocolate and the Hallmark movies and the lights behind you and the tree lit, like it makes you really, really happy. Or maybe the, the Christmas bonus or the raise or the promotion makes you really happy. And the new car makes you really happy. The greatest gift ever at Christmas makes you really happy. And, and all the, you know, the promotion and now the power that comes with it makes you really happy. But none of these earthly things can satisfy the depths of your soul. Because the depths of our soul are constantly longing for unity with our Father. So Mary recognizes that her soul is only satisfied by the Lord. And if you and I are not careful, we will live every day, every week, every year. And then Christmas will be just another excuse to spend lots of money, overeat, and have a lot of family time or more time off. But every single Christmas, we must be reminded that when Jesus came, he came to die in our place, but he came to truly satisfy our soul. That the Spirit of God can live in me. That, that the Spirit of God can live in me. And if we come to the realization that there is nothing earthly that can satisfy our soul, then we will be able to press into the Lord above and we will recognize that our souls were never meant to be satisfied by earthly possessions, power, fame, money. But our souls can only be satisfied by an eternal Father who gives us His Word, His promise, and a relationship opportunity with him. So you and I, we first see that she recognizes her soul magnifies in who? And it magnifies and exalts who? The Lord. And she rejoices in God my what, she says? In God my Savior. In God my Savior. That phrase right there was probably my favorite part of the entire Christmas carol. Because she recognizes she too, 
I mean, I'm talking about Mary who carried Jesus. I'm talking about the Mary whose nose may have been identical to the sweet Jesus. I'm talking about Mary, you know, the one that Jesus would have crawled, bumped his head and fell over and would have crawled to or ran to. That Mary who, who not just carried Jesus, but then raised Jesus and then who cooked for Jesus and who pampered and nurtured Jesus. The, the, the same Mary who did this recognizes that she too, like every single person that's in this room today, was a sinner in need of a Savior. And she realized that she was not perfect but this one that she was carrying was. And that he would truly be as the angel promised to her. That he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. There will be no end. And Mary says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. When you come to the realization that apart from Jesus Christ, that you and I will be eternally separated from our God, and you come to that realization of that, and you come to truly surrender and to repent and call upon his name and follow him and serve him and love him, and the rest of your lives you, you spend in relationship to him, When you come to that point in time, your life is being radically transformed because of the realization of your own sin and the need of him to save you. Because apart from Jesus, you and I would be eternally separated from our God. That is what you and I deserve, and that is what we would receive. But as Mary was told by the angel, for nothing will be impossible with God. Not just this miraculous pregnancy, not just the sins of the world to be bore, carried upon his shoulders, not just the tomb to be empty, but I'm talking about sinful people. And, and the angel did not tell Mary this, but she could have. She could have told, he could have told Mary this 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years from now, there are going to be people who are worshiping your son. There are going to be people who are surrendering to this child that you bear. He's going to grow up and he's going to literally change the world. The world is going to be shaken on the night in which he is born. And Mary recognizes that God is her Savior. When we recognize God as our Savior, we can rejoice for the rest of our life because it also brings us back to that point of humility, realizing that you and I could never, ever, ever become perfect enough in anything that we do to obtain the grace, the mercy, and the love of the Lord. It says that his mercy is for those who fear him. Those who fear him. Now, whenever we read the word fear, we might have a poor understanding and think we just need to hide under the pillow and hope that he doesn't pass by. But to fear him is to truly exalt him and to magnify him in his rightful place and to dwell in humble adoration and worship of him as God, as creator, as redeemer, and as savior. And whenever we do so, we humble ourselves and we don't get caught up so much as Brian was alluding to. We can get caught up and then we can also not get caught up and we can enjoy it and we cannot enjoy it. But there are going to be miserable people that spent a lot of money on Christmas next Saturday. 
There are going to be a lot of miserable people that spend a lot of money and cooked a lot of goods and spent a lot of family time because they do not know that this day is to celebrate the day in which the Savior of the world came to us. See, something I want to ask before we close is Jesus just the name that you apply to excuse your excessive spending, overeating, more time off? I mean, is Jesus just the name that we use to excuse the loads of debt that we just brought upon ourselves so that we could buy the best gifts and, and make everybody happy and fill the tree? Is Jesus the name that we use to excuse or to try to justify? Well, it's, it's Christmas time. I, you know, I got to spend so much on him and so much on her. No, no. If you and I are just applying Jesus as our justification to what is going on and whatever the world participates in on this time of year, then we may truly miss Christmas. We'll miss it. You and I ought to wake up next Saturday morning. We ought to wake up every single day. But surely next Saturday morning, you and I must wake up. If we truly call ourselves His children, we must wake up and humble ourselves and bow before Him and just praise His holy name. I mean, if you want to truly get the most out of Saturday morning, which is Christmas morning, with your family, with your children, with your kids, instead of waking up and and see what Santa brought necessarily, we ought to wake up and we ought to just praise the Lord together. We ought to just spend time telling our kids, listen, I know that you love Santa. I know Santa may have come. Santa may not have came. I don't know where everyone's at here. Uh, I don't know what your elf's name is. I don't know what, you know mischievous stuff your elf has done in the house this year. I don't know what, how much money the elf has cost you. I, I, I don't know what is going on. But here's what I do know. Our kids need to know that without Jesus coming to save them from their sin, they would not live eternally with their father. We need to wake up Saturday morning and reminding my children, who, yeah, they're only seven, six, two, and two months old, but they are in need of Jesus. And they must celebrate this Christmas reminding themselves every single day, and especially every single year, that the Savior of their soul came born this day. The Savior of the world. And if you remember what the angel said, The angels told the shepherds, and something I'll read later today. This is good news of great joy for what people? All the people. All the people. The broken people, the addicted people, the adulterous people, the greedy people, the prideful people. All the people can receive on this day as that Savior was born good news of great joy. And my prayer is that you and I this Christmas will truly rejoice and praise the Lord and magnify the Lord. Because on Christmas we're reminded God came for the humble. God is faithful to his word. And God is my Savior. Let's pray.